Like one of the Las Vegas past mayors, Mayor Jones said, "Las Vegas was built by people who dream big dreams, entrepreneurs who are not afraid to take a risk. This is a city that every idea becomes a stepping stone to a grander idea. It's a city that entrepreneurs are not afraid to gamble on building a bigger, brighter future." Welcome back to Creative Talks Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host Ninja, like Ninja but with an M. I miss my audience so much. I'm so sorry that I haven't uploaded for three weeks because I was busy promoting this podcast on social media and I was falling behind on actually creating the episodes. So I hope you guys didn't forget about me. This episode is part one of the Las Vegas development history series that I have been thinking of doing for a really long time. A little background about me for those of you who don't know me: I grew up in Las Vegas. I love Las Vegas strip development and architecture. I love casino designs. However, I don't gamble actually. I was a little afraid to do this series because I don't think that I'm a good storyteller. I'm not one of those professional podcasters like the Business War or the Historical Channel, where they have a really good storytelling skills. But then I looked at something on Instagram the other day. It said, "You need to become a disaster first." Before you become the master, so that just encouraged me to press the record button and actually do this series. And make sure you stay till the end because I'm going to give a shout out to one of my listeners who wrote a really good review on my podcast. And let's get started. Let's start by going all the way back to 1941 when the very first hotel on the Las Vegas Strip was built. It was called the El Wencho Vegas. The El Wencho Vegas was built three miles away from the downtown Las Vegas area. Back then, before the El Wencho was built, majority of the Las Vegas casinos were located in downtown Fremont Street, and the El Wencho was out in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. The Las Vegas Strip wasn't exist back then. But if you look at fast forward sixty years later in twenty twenty, now Las Vegas has one hundred fifty thousand hotel rooms. Back then, the El Wencho started with sixty three rooms in the hotel, and we have a four thousand room hotel that is under construction right now called the Resort World on the Las Vegas Strip. We have a professional NFL football stadium that is opening in the fall of 2020. We have the world's most high-tech performance venue that is under construction right now behind the Venetian Hotel behind the Strip. It's amazing how a small town in the desert became today's entertainment capital of the world. So for the Las Vegas. 
series, I really want to focus on casinos that were built between 1966 to 2010. In my personal opinion, I think this was the golden period of Las Vegas casino development. The developers behind these hotels were visionary developers who have shaped the skyline of the Las Vegas Strip. And in this episode, let's start with Jay Sarno, the Caesar of Las Vegas, who built the Caesar's Palace. This is a quote from the Las Vegas Review Journal reported on February 7, 1999. It said, You can get an argument over who started the Las Vegas Strip, but there's no question that Jay Sarno, who changed it forever. Before 1966, there were 12 hotels on the Strip. One of them is the Flamingo. Across the street from the Flamingo, there was a 34 acres piece of vacant land that was owned by a businessman called Kurt Kokorian. And for those of you who are not familiar with him, you must have heard or stayed at one of his company's hotels in Las Vegas. That's right, he is the founder of the MGM Resorts. And Jay Sarno is a hotel operator businessman from Atlanta. He came to Vegas and he wanted to build the most luxurious hotel ever in Las Vegas. By the way, a common thing you will find in this Vegas series is that a lot of these developers either build the most expensive or the largest hotel ever in history. And Jay Sarno got a $10.5 million loan from his friend Jimmy Hoffa, who was in charge of the Teamsters Central States Pension Fund. He leased this 34 acres of land from Kurt Kokorian. He also got some debt and investor money, and he built the Caesars Palace with 680 rooms at the time. The construction cost was $25 million at the time in 1966, which is equivalent to $190 million in today's value. It was the most expensive hotel ever built on the Strip at the time. And if you look at the history, it's kind of interesting how the founder of MGM actually helped to build the Caesars Palace. The end result of the project turned out to be a Roman-themed 14-story hotel with 680 rooms set back 130 feet from the Strip. It had five 60-foot-tall fountains out front. The staffs all dressed up like Roman soldiers or Roman characters. When you enter the lobby, you will see this 100-foot chandelier created from 100,000 German-made crystals. It also had an amazing outdoor swimming pool that was built with 8,000 pieces of marble imported from Italy. And the reason why Jay Sarno called his hotel Caesar's Palace without the apostrophe after Caesar is because he wants every guest who walks into his hotel feels like a Caesar. Caesar's Palace is not just for one Caesar. It's for all Caesars. It's for everybody. 
It was a luxurious hotel, and the construction cost was expensive. Obviously, investors were very nervous. Will this hotel turn out to be successful? Will it be profitable? It's so expensive to build. Oh, and by the way, one of the common thing that you will hear from this Vegas series is that every big casino hotel project on the Strip, investors were always nervous. They're always nervous because of the construction cost, because of the ideas, how crazy it is, etc. And for Caesar's Palace, it turned out that the hotel was so successful. The Caesar's Palace opened on August fourth, nineteen sixty-six. Out of the twenty-five million dollars spent on the Caesar's Palace, one million dollars went to a gala, three-day-long grand opening party that had a guest list of eighteen hundred people. And here is a quote from the book *The Grand* that describes how successful the hotel was. The staffs who were in charge of counting the cash coming from the gaming tables had to begin to weight the money because counting it would take too long. And one of the interesting notes about the construction of the Caesar's Palace is that the architect was a woman architect, Jay Harris. She did a wonderful job of putting the details and incorporating the woman theme into the building. This hotel is the first hotel on the Strip that made the building the entertainment of itself. So most of the casino developers actually don't gamble, but Jay Sarno was a gambler himself. Here's an other interesting story from the book The Grand. He said. When he played golf, he liked to bet fifteen thousand dollars per hole, which is equivalent to one hundred thirteen thousand dollars in today's money. What a classic Las Vegas entrepreneur in the gaming business! So, if you look at all of these hotels on the Las Vegas Strip, each hotel reflects the taste and personality of the developer that is behind the development. And when you look at The Caesar's Palace. You can tell that Jay Sarno really had an ambitious vision and a luxurious lifestyle. At the University of Nevada, Las Vegas Public Library, they have a collection of a lot of the Las Vegas history documents, and in one of the collections, I saw an invitation. Of the actual grand opening of the Caesar's Palace, and on this invitation, it has a picture of Jay Sarno himself, and on top of it, it says, "I, Caesar, invited you to dot dot dot." So he really considered himself a Caesar, and this exactly reflects on the building that he built. The grand opening party was definitely a very successful grand opening, and I found a very interesting story online about Jimmy Hoffa. If you remember earlier when I mentioned that Jay Sarno got a ten point five million dollars loan from this pension fund, the fund manager was Jimmy Hoffa, and here is the story that I found online. 
Jimmy Hoffa did not stay long at the party. The next day, he gave his suite to one of the guests, a 24 years old young man named Steve Wynn. And later on, this young man became a casino hotel developer himself, and he built hotels like the Bellagio. Mirage, Treasure Island, Wynn, and Encore, and I will talk about these hotels in my future episodes of this series. So make sure you subscribe and stay tuned for future episodes. Go back to the Jay Sarno Caesar's Palace stories. He made a lot of money from the Caesar's Palace, and he started his second hotel called the Circus Circus. Unfortunately, the Circus Circus. Was not as lucky as the Caesar's Palace. The Circus Circus did not have a hotel tower attached to the casino at the time, and the design of the casino did not do it correctly. There are bunch of psychologies and elements behind casino designs, and if you're interested, there's like a textbook called "Designing Casinos to Dominate the Competition." So feel free to find it on Amazon if you're interested to learn about casino designs. And the Circus Circus was losing money. Jay Sarno had a lot of pressure from this unprofitable hotel, and at the time, the FBI was investigating illegal crime organization activities in Las Vegas because remember. We are talking about the Las Vegas in 1960s, and Jay Sarno aimed a federal investigation into Caesar's finances. The FBI has successfully convinced him to sell the Caesar's Palace, so he sold the Caesar's Palace for sixty million dollars, which is equivalent to four hundred million dollars today. It was over twice as much as the resort had cost. And if you think about it from a developer's point of view, the construction of the hotel was twenty-five million dollars back in nineteen sixty-six. Three years later, three years after completion of construction, he sold it for sixty million dollars, more than twice as the construction cost. So, from a con- developer's point of view, it was a very successful development project. The original. Casino hotel had 680 rooms, and later on, the new owners, new developers, came in and they added two more towers to the Caesar's Palace. So the Caesar's Palace that you see today on the Strip has about 4,000 rooms in total. And on the other hand, the Circus Circus was never profitable when Jay Sarno had it. And in 1974, eight years after he built the Circus Circus, he sold it to new owners, Bill Bennett and Bill Pennington. And these two new owners later joined the development game as well. They added hotel towers to the Circus Circus and turned it into a very profitable gold mine. Their company, the Circus Circus Corporation, later became a public listed company on the New York Stock Exchange, which I will talk about it in my future episode. One of the owners, Bill Bennett, he became a very well-known developer on the Strip. He was the visionary behind 
Luxor and the Excalibur. Him, Steve Wynn, Kurt Kerkorian, and Sheldon Elderson were competing of building the most luxurious, the best hotel on the Las Vegas Strip, which I will talk about all of these hotels in my future episodes. Now let's go back to Jay Sarno's story. He sold the Caesars Palace, he sold the Circus Circus, and what's next? He was actually planning his third hotel in Las Vegas, but unfortunately, he died of heart attack in 1984 at the age of 62 in a suite of his beloved Caesars Palace. So this is the ending story of how Jay Sarno have built the Caesars Palace and Circus Circus. He definitely made a huge impact of the Las Vegas skyline. And my favorite part of the Caesars Palace is definitely the form shop. The form shop was built way after Jay Sarnold um, sold the Caesars Palace. The form shop was built by a developer called Sheldon Gordon. It opened in 1992 with 200,000 square feet and later expanded to 630,000 square feet. It is one of the top 10 most profitable malls in the world. According to the Green Street Advisors 2018 ranking, the form shop ranked the fourth highest grossing mall per square foot, $1,615 sales per square foot. The design of the form shop is really unbelievable. It's a beautiful piece of art. They had this open public space within the mall that had a swimming pool sized fountain on the first floor. And all of the columns around it were large three stories, marble columns, and the paintings on the ceilings. The curvy escalators surrounding these columns, the sunlight reflected on the fountain and it created this beautiful atmosphere within this open space in the mall. It was beautiful. But the current owner of the mall is a very large corporation and they decided to get rid of the fountain and put a tea coffee station in there. So if you really want to understand what I'm talking about of how beautiful the form shop was, you I think the best way to figure it out is to go on Google and find some old pictures of the form shop. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you learned something about the history of the Caesars Palace, the form shop, the circus circus. And next time when you go visit Las Vegas, you can share these interesting stories with your friends. And now let's do the shout out. I want to give a shout out to one of my listeners who wrote a very good review on my podcast. This review was written by Dragon Dose, and I later figured out that his real name is Dennis Lee. He is actually one of my guest speakers. His episode is 002, Korean Investments in the U.S. Market, so you can go listen to that episode if you want. He said, 
I think this podcast seems attractive to me since it brings more young players, not just seasoned players in real estate. There are a bunch of walkie players like me out there who want to enter this industry and want to get connected with professionals, people in the field. Therefore, the perfect podcast since it covers all players, including starter and master of real estate field. Thank you so much, Dennis. For those of you who are interested in urban planning, data analytics, prop tech, or Korean commercial real estate or Korean investments, feel free to reach out to Dennis Lee on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect with him. If you want to get a shout out for me in future episodes, make sure to leave a review. You don't need to write your real name on Apple Podcasts if you don't want to. You can also share this podcast to LinkedIn and write something about it. Tell people to subscribe and listen and use hashtag creative talks podcast. Make sure you use this hashtag so I will be able to find you and actually give you a shout out in my future episodes. And if I sound a little too exciting in this episode, I apologize because this is a series that I have been thinking of doing for a really long time. And I'm also very excited of coming back to my podcast and share these stories with my audience. I haven't uploaded for three weeks. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes very soon, like this month or early September, I have a full lineup of speakers who will talk about alternative investment, capital market, placemaking in development, China's senior housing development investment, and the shape of Manhattan events and consequences. And we will also talk about the professions and compromise and negotiation of different parties in development projects. So make sure you stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you next time. Bye.